Welcome to the Financial Planners South Africa podcast, a show dedicated to driving the positive evolution of financial advice, specifically in South Africa. To join a global community of financial advisors, sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion, people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. AssetMap is a proud sponsor of this podcast. Are you looking for the next big thing in advisor technology? AssetMap is used by thousands of financial advisors to help create more meaningful conversations with clients. See for yourself how AssetMap is leading the next phase of financial advice delivery. Learn more at asset-map.com forward slash Louis for special listeners discount. This episode is proudly brought to you by Alan Gray. They say it's important to live for today. Although that might be true, we can't forget to plan for tomorrow. There's a lot of it left, after all. Alan Gray is an authorized financial services provider. Visit www.alangray.co.za to learn how we build long-term wealth for clients. Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. Today I'm very honored to have my friend Francois de Toy join us for a conversation about how we got into the industry, what he's up to now, and his views on financial planning of the future. Francois, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Louis. It uh, feels like this has been overdue, so very excited to be here today and to be able to chat to you. Finally, the tables are turned. You do this uh, for a big part of your life where you speak to people that promote the positive evolution of financial planning. And today, um, we get to talk a little bit about Francois. And I want us to start off with where things started. Now, maybe give us that kind of summary of how Francois got into the financial services industry. I think quite by mistake, um, or by chance rather, not by mistake, but but by chance. Um, when I st- when I left school way back in 1994, well, I finished in 93, and then 94 sort of visited the University of the Free State for a little bit and then decided studying is not for me. Uh, so I then joined the workforce at Standard Bank, uh, which is one of the big banks. And uh, I was there for, for three years. And then one day I got this call where this guy says, and I, I don't know him, like uh, he lived in the same town as me, but he was a broker consultant at one of the big insurance companies. And he said to me, like, I need to come and pay him a visit. And I went there, no idea why. And then when he was telling me about, you know, consultants get a company car and a cell phone and an entertainment allowance, I said, where, <laughs> where do I send my CV? Um, no clue what I was getting into. Uh, that was quite a process. I think uh, it was, took about three months for all the all the things. But that was sort of my my thing. And I, I, I quite clearly remember, Louis, when I that very first day when I started, they were sending me like to weird places to go and collect things and like typical admin, like you the newbie rookie. And I was younger. I was like 22 at the time. Um, and uh, one of the youngest consultants that they've ever appointed. And I sit there and I think to myself, Francois, what did you do? <laughs> and I had no clue. So it took about another two years from there to realize what this was all about. And uh, sort of from there, my journey started. And, and it's always funny, Louis, I always say, you know, I've tried to get out of financial services quite a few times, but it's like it keeps on pulling me back. It's like as if this is the place where I needed to be. Um, but I also, you know, although I started off as a consultant and I, I was an advisor at some point and I was in management and I had all these like sort of almost everything in, in financial services, um, I was trying to find my place. And that took, that was quite a journey. Uh, it took me, well, if I started back in 1998 in the, in the industry, it really took me up until 2015, end of 2015, to really get my place and to understand sort of what's my calling, where I want to be, what is it, what role I want to play, but I'm still in financial services. And yeah, but that's just like a short background on, on how I got into the industry. Um, so yeah, it was quite a journey. Francho, what was the thing that you know made it made you stick it out for so long? Because that's quite a long time to you know feel uncomfortable and to find that spot. 
I think the variety and the, 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 the continuous change, because I get bored very quickly. So one of the things that definitely I can say about financial services, it's the, it's the constant change, the constant movement, new challenges. And then uh, the one thing that I did like, because for a long time I dealt with a certain group of financial advisors, like if you as a con- consultant look after advisors, you have your what we call the unit. And you would look after you have those relationships. So there was stability, but there's also this change. And then also I love numbers. So the calculations, the technical side really like appealed to me. So as I got to learn more about that, specifically when I was a, a consultant. So I can tell you in 2002, uh, I was an advisor at one of the big banks and I got to uh, attend a course by Etienne Marais. Now, I don't know if you know Etienne Marais, but they were like the training people in, in the industry back then. And uh, it was Oom Etienne and his son Etienne. And uh, I went to this, the very first time that I sat, it was a five-day course on estate planning and uh, estate and financial planning. And I was sitting there, I will, I can clearly remember the Thursday, I sat back and I thought to myself, like, I want to do what these guys do. But I was focusing on the completely different things. I wasn't focusing on the training stuff, which I'm doing today. I was focusing on the, that they consult with clients, charge them a fee and don't sell them anything. You know, that's all they do. They leave that up to the advisor. They support advisors, but from the advice point of view. And I thought to myself, that's what I want to do. And that was back in 2002. And I think that really got me hooked at the end of the day because the way I viewed things, the, the value I could add to financial advisors after all of that experience, that's really where I think I would say my career took off in financial services and where I thought, like, I love this environment. Um, so I think that's sort of the, the, the two things. The one thing is this ever changing environment. And then the fact that I saw what they did and I loved it. I love this concept of kind of exploring and seeing what works for you and getting comfortable with change. It's something that's come up with quite a few people that we've spoken to that we need to get comfortable with things changing because that is the only constant. Yeah. It's the only way you can grow. Um, you know, if everything is the same every single day and, you know, there's, what is there to look forward to? You know, I know that some people really love the, the, the like they, they know what to expect. They know exactly what's going to happen. No surprises. But life just doesn't work like that. And, uh, you know, I've, I've recently gone through another change and that learning curve in the beginning is so unsettling. It is so uh, frustrating, to be honest. But once you get to the other side of that, you know, it's just you look back and you thought, ah, oh, that was nothing, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's what I love. And I'm a little bit competitive as well. So, you know, you throw all those things in the mix, um, you know, I, no day is the same for me. And, and, and I think that's what I love most. Makes for a really good recipe. But I'm yeah. sure there was times where you said, oh, did I make the right decision? Like second guessing yourself. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that because I think we all have those days. But the difference is how do you get through that? Yeah, I think um, yeah, <laughs> I can keep you busy for two episodes just, just on those. Um, Luisa, you know, I think about it. There's a few things that I've done, decisions that I've made that I wouldn't say I regretted it. But I very quickly realized that uh, this wasn't for me. And I think sort of the, the, the challenge that you sit with is if you're like me and you're very inquisitive and you're trying to find your place and you're trying to figure out what is it that you are supposed to be doing, you know, knowing that you need to, you need to be and want to be in financial services is one thing. To find exactly where in financial services can be quite a journey, and it was. And um, yes, there were times that were not like, you know, I, I mean, I had a very good stint at, at the uh, – um, the insurer that I, that, that I sort of uh, alluded to earlier, it was a good stand. I learned almost everything that I got there, uh, you know, everything that I know that I, I learned from them. And I got to meet so many people, build my network, build my relationships. But then it gets to a point where mm, now it starts getting that one and the same. And then you start looking for things. And sometimes things come to you and you think like, oh, this is the logical next step. So some of the, like I made decisions, uh, you know, to join other companies where like within a very short space of time, I decided like, no, 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 this is not working for me because you're not a good fit for everyone and not, not all, all places is a good fit for you. Um, and I must say that that is one of the most uncomfortable places to be because you've just gone through this change and then very quickly you realize like, oops, you know, maybe this is not for me. Now, the one thing that I can say is that I'm very good at making a decision and then just... You know, I'm, I'm never hold ransom for where I am. Um, I, I speak to so many people who go like, 
I, I don't want to do this. I really want to do this. But, you know, I've, I'm now so close to retirement. Or, or like, I can't move. Like, I'm different. I just go like, I'll figure it out. Um, and sometimes that has put my wife through a lot of stress and a lot of pain, um, which I'm grateful she's still around. But it's, um, you know, it's, it's really those things where I've never been afraid to make a change. But I must say, I think some of the toughest things is when you have to face the fact that you made a decision that turns out not to be the best for you. But I also believe it is a step in the next, like what is next? It's just a maybe a little detour or maybe it's just to, to get you onto that road. Because if I didn't make that decision and got to that point where I felt like, okay, this was the wrong decision. I think that's the problem that, that we, we sometimes do. We get married to, to the outcome. Like, what do we want? Instead of just saying, like, why did I make this decision and committing to the decision and not worry about the outcome? So that was one of the biggest lessons for me during all of these tough times is that I may make a decision today and I must make like peace with it that I made this decision for whatever the reasons were. And even if I didn't consider it properly and it doesn't work out, it's not my fault. It is just where is this leading to next? Um, you know, so I think it also got to got to do. And it sounds like I've got everything figured out, maybe, Lou, but I, I don't. Um, but it's just for my experience that you know, just just continue continue on your path, and, and it will work out, and it does find its way. Yeah, there's this idea of the the sunk cost fallacy, right? That you hold on too tightly to the things that brought you to where you are now, and saying, okay, you know, if I have to do this over. Don't think about all the you know time spent building building something up, and then say, okay, you know, kind of how do I figure this out going forward? Which it sounds like you uh, you have managed to master. So while, I would say master, but definitely, <laughs> you know, it doesn't bother me as much anymore. Um, and I think that exactly that where you feel like you've gone down so far, or you've gone down so far down this road that you have to now stick to it. You have to see it through because you're not a quitter. You know, and, and I always get that picture of that. I don't know if you've ever seen that picture where uh, somebody's holding on to a rope. Where some, so so there's two people, one on each end of the rope, and the one is hanging on for dear life. Doesn't want to let the other one go, and that rope starts cutting into their arms. And just letting go means that it's fine. You know what happens after that has got nothing to do with you, but it's that letting go and not saying like I have to hang on for dear life. Um, you know, just just. I think acknowledge that something isn't working for you or acknowledge that you're so unhappy or acknowledge that you are extremely happy, whatever your situation may be. Um, and often I must say, like uh, when my children were still in home, you know, it, it does influence your thinking. It does influence your decision-making. You know, it's not as easy as I make it sound because you have to look in, like if your wife looks into your eyes and saying, like, no, I don't see anything happening. I, I don't see things moving. I don't see progress. You, you tell me all these things and they all make sense, but I'm not seeing like any difference, you know. Those are the hardest times to, to actually go through. And then, you know, there was a, there was a time uh, back in 2015, I was in Bloemfontein, I'll, I'll never forget. Um, and I was driving, I was there, there to do training. And uh, like sort of the, the same sort of discussion and, and, and my wife, like we had this thing. And in that moment, I just decided, you know what? All I need is myself. Like I will show every single person that this is my vision and I can do this, you know, but going through that and then, you know, having to talk constantly. And, and I think that's the big thing. You have to communicate and talk all the time, which is what we did. And it wasn't until 2018, you know, so that's another two and a half years later that she one day said to me, I can see something changing. You know, and that was the moment. Like I went, like, wow, okay. So, so we're now moving in the right direction. And and it's those things. Like, if you can really believe in what you want to do, and you have a very clear vision, don't have to have figure it have figured it out to say, well, this is how I'm going to do it, or have an exact plan. But you definitely need to, if you really believe in it, um, you know, then you can make it happen. And uh, yeah. So let me first stop there because like I can go on and on. <laughs> oh, thanks for sharing about that with that. us. <laughs> I'm wondering kind of what happened in 2018. You know, what was that tipping point for you that your wife said, oh, actually, I can see this vision play out now that Francho has? Yeah, so so there was a lot of things that I had to learn. Like, you, you, you know, a lot of things. Like, for instance, like, I mean, I would rate my technical skills extremely high. Like, I'm very confident in my technical financial planning skills my skills around technology and those kind of things. And 
but and I thought that was enough to sort of build my business and to get people to come to my training and to to ask me to come and talk somewhere and present somewhere, and it wasn't uh, because there's a lot of things that goes around it, and that I had to learn uh, the hard way, I would say. And uh, because of that, I lost a lot of confidence since I started uh, with this particular part of my life um, in 2015 is that you don't believe that you're going to get a deal or you don't believe that somebody sees your value. I think that was the worst for me where you listen to other people who do what I do and then you go like, you know, it's like, oh, but it's them, it's not me. And then the more I started listening to what they were saying, I was going like, but I say that, I do that. Oh, I, have, I believe something different from them. You know, and then as as I started very, very small, I mean, there were people that believed in me from day one, but I mean, they weren't enough, <laughs> unfortunately. So it was very hard in the beginning, you know, um, and and I just stuck to it. And I, I learned now, it's easy for me to look back now and say, if you just do that little bit, just focus on that first deal, the second deal, the th don't worry about the size, don't worry about your pricing, don't worry about, you know, anything, just make sure that you get a deal, number one, because that builds confidence. And then over time, as you build your brand and you build your name, the other things just fall in, in place. If, if I go back 2015, 16, 17, I can't tell you how many meetings I had where I was doing proposals and talking to people and then getting very excited and you give them a luck and, they, and, and everybody wants to sort of cut your prices and wants to do that. And then from 2018, I think as things started slowly building, um, you know, I had recurring customers, so, so clients that came to us from the previous year. So it was sort of the same kind of proposal, the same kind of thing, and things just continued. And my confidence started building. And, and I must say, Louis, I think, you know, it started changing in 2018 because from 2015 to 2018, I did a lot of work. Like I studied sales. I studied um, a lot of stuff in terms of personal development, you know, um, my self-awareness, I've worked so all that kind of stuff. I've really spent a lot of time on. Um, and I think as time went on, the biggest thing for me was sales, by the way. So having that conversation uh, to really connect with the client and just understand and then, you know, sort of deliver or, or offer them what, what it is that they're looking for and believing that you can actually do that because that imposter syndrome thing has, has been on my back for, for so, so long. It doesn't matter how many people told me otherwise. But I think things really ramped up uh, because of that. And then from 2020, obviously, when we started the show, things just went bananas. Um, so so there, there was a like an exponential change uh, from, from that point. Francho, I want to pause a little bit on the, on the sales conversation because sales is often a dirty word in our industry. You know, you get people that are either very comfortable knowing that they need to sell or you get people that, you know, have this real anti-sales, uh, I guess not understanding that sales is an important part of any job or any product or service that you will deliver. How did you go about honing your sales skills? So it started off with watching, a, you're going to laugh at me, but um, like I watched a lot of Gary Vaynerchuk videos in the beginning. <laughs> I think he pumps one up, although that's not his intention, but but just seeing, so I was I was just watching very clearly what he was doing and 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 that kind of stuff. But also listening to the messages until you until I got to a point where I've heard him say this before. I've heard him say this before. And you, you start because in the beginning you you start following someone new. You hear all these new things and it's fantastic and you get excited and all of that. But I think that was sort of the start. But but the real big start was my mindset because I told myself and I've said to so many people I'm not a salesman. Um, you know, I don't like selling. Um, you know, I don't never want to, when, when I was an advisor, somebody asked me, what do you do today? I'm a broker tomorrow. I'm a financial advisor. Then I call myself a financial planner. And I realized like, I didn't know what I was. Uh, and it's because of like, how oh, they're going to see me. So I was so infatuated with the fact that like, no, I don't want, not with how I want them to see me, but rather how I don't want them to see me. And that was a big thing for me. And I just then decided, so where things changed is actually when I sold my practice in 2016, because I was in practice until 2016, and then I went full on into the training stuff. And suddenly, I experienced a different mindset, or I sort of changed my mindset, but it was so much easier because I didn't have this baggage that I sort of built up for myself over the years because don't see me as, a, as somebody who sells policies or don't see me as someone who does X, Y, or Z. If you don't sell, you're dead. Like there is no business in this world that will survive um, without selling. I mean, even nonprofits have to sell. Like, there's no way. Like, even to get donations, it's a selling process. You know, you don't get anything for free. You've got to work for it. But 
you also need to sell your dream, your vision, your purpose, your mission. What it is that you do, why you do it. Um, and doesn't matter because I mean, you know that there's there's a huge shift in financial services away from certain things to, to, to other areas. But you still have to sell. And to sell simply means, in my mind, that one, you need to connect with the person that you want to help and it has to be a good fit. That's really what, what selling is about. If we can determine whether we are a good fit or not, the rest is a conversation and falls into place. Um, you know, so, I mean, there's a lot of methodologies, a lot of frameworks, a lot of process that you can follow in terms of sales. But I think that sometimes, you know, when you're new to this, it gives you a framework to talk around. But at the end of the day, sales should just be a conversation. But you should also know how to look for certain things to know that you're not wasting your time because not everybody is a good fit. So that's what sales today is about for me is finding that good fit and the rest is is actually then easy. Yeah, I guess once it's a good fit and it's a mutually beneficial relationship, the sales process takes care of itself. Exactly. And you, and you mentioned an important thing, like one of the companies I worked for for a little bit, um, they, they said something that I truly believe in and that I still tell people today, whether it's a partnership or whether whatever it may be, you know, in a, in a financial advice sort of situation, um, what they said is that they wanted um, the client to benefit, the advisor to benefit, and the company to benefit. So if all three of them don't benefit, then you know there shouldn't be a relationship there. And it's the same in a partnership. If both if both uh, partners don't benefit, you know, and both don't contribute in whatever way, it ain't never going to work. Uh, it's if it's just one one person. So. That's really what sales is about is to determine that. And, and as you said, you know, if you have that, the rest takes care of itself and it just happens. Francois, there's a famous article by Kevin Kelly called A Thousand True Fans, where he talks about, you know, getting getting your people on the bus, you know, getting them excited and, and getting the right people. And it sounds like you just had to find the right spot and then get the right people so that you can go into this new phase where people are saying, ah, I can start seeing Francois' vision. Yeah, but I, that, I think, like you said, that's such an important thing, Louis. It's it's so hard for people to see what you see. Um, I don't believe that there's, like, if that happens, that's special. But, I mean, I, I think about my wife, my family, like, still, like, my mom and dad was like, mom, but what do you do? <laughs> so they don't get it. They don't understand. And and that's the hardest part, when you start feeling alone and, you, and, you, and you're the only one who sees what you see. But you listen to any great business that has started, like many of them started like that. And, you know, it's, it's just the fact of because a lot of people tell you no or try and warn you or try and discourage you for whatever reason it may be. If you really believe in that little voice inside of you, you don't give up. You just push through and somewhere you'll, you'll, there will be somebody who sees it as well. And they start following and they start – and that's exactly what happened – and suddenly there's three people and four people and five people and slowly but surely it grows. And um, and that's sort of where you get to a point where you say, oh, well, now this thing is getting life. It's not just me who sees it anymore. But it does take, you know, some things will always happen quickly. Um, you know, think about Zoom, <laughs> how quickly st people started using that and Teams and those things when we went into lockdown. It was overnight almost, um, although they've been around for a long time. Um, you know, but but other things take so much longer. Um, but I think it comes down to the same thing. If you're in the right place at the right time and you're prepared, you know, when opportunity comes, you'll be able to take advantage of that as well. Yeah, once you get comfortable with that change, you know, it can be a lonely place because you can be the only person there saying, okay, I'm pushing pushing the change. <laughs> and you're there for long sometimes. So <laughs> get to get comfortable with yourself. On that note, I mean, Francho, you, you've created a personality within the financial industry and, and there's only a few other people that have managed to do that successfully. And it's great to hear your approach that you've taken. But, you know, when did that tipping point happen? Like what happened that, that Francho all of a sudden became uh, <laughs> a household name for financial advisors? Yeah, it was, uh, it's a simple thing I did, which I wish I did a long time ago, but I didn't have the means to do so a long time ago. But um, when, when lockdown came in 2020, I was probably the most afraid person in South Africa, if not the world. Uh, and I thought to myself, this is the end of my business. Uh, this is not going to survive. Uh, you know, like I had all these things. And I just thought to myself, I need to do something. And then one day, uh, like in March, I was watching a guy called Pat Flynn uh, uh, from uh, 
what is this uh, from SPI? I can't remember the name now of the podcast, but um, what he he was doing, he started going live every single day on YouTube. And I thought to myself, like, I can do that for financial advice because like we got in, because we just heard that we're going into level five lockdown and starting to understand what that meant and, and so forth. And I thought to myself, you know, I need to do something to keep my mind off of the things that, because I, I have this tendency, like when I stress a lot, it almost numbs me and I do nothing. Uh, it sometimes takes me a week of just thinking, 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 and for a week I do absolutely nothing. And um, I just thought to myself, I can't do this. I'm going to go mad. And uh, I decided to go live every single day. Um, we started off with doing it on 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 YouTube and uh, LinkedIn. And yeah, then uh, sort of <laughs> the first episode, there was one person, old Terence uh, Tobin was there. And uh, he asked me, I was watching it the other day, he was asking me questions and nice shame. I like, I owe him a, a huge steak or a coffee because he didn't leave me alone for that hour. But I also then, because the format was going to be just a Q&A, I pitch up, you pitch up, you ask me questions, I answer questions, I help you think through things, maybe whatever. And uh, he... But in that first episode, like halfway through, I thought to myself, no, this is not going to work. Like, I need to come up with topics to talk about and give people a reason to ask questions because I think everybody was in such a space where they didn't know what to do. They were also stressed. They were also worried. And um, and that's what we did. Uh, so slowly but surely, those first 10 episodes, like we went live every single day and we did so for 75 days. And I think that's where – it started because in that level five, level four lockdown period, people were talking about it and they were sharing it and they were like really, and that's how we sort of built a little bit of a following there. And it didn't, I only, I think, realized after the 50th episode what's happening because I thought it was just a show with an audience and then suddenly you saw people connecting in the, in the, in the chat, you know, live. They would talk to each other, say hi to each other, ask each other questions, answer each other's questions, and then I did my bit. And I started realizing that this is starting to to be a little bit of a community, albeit small, um, you know. But that's what we what what we did, and I think that's where it started, and that was really the tipping point for for me. Is when like just the right place at the right time, I think, which seemed to be a crazy idea, but um, because there was no plan, there was no strategy, there was no reason other than please not don't let me go mad. That was that was my my, and I think that's a big lesson now that I think about it, Louis, is that you. You something sometimes do something for no reason at all, and it turns around and it becomes the best thing that you've probably done. Wow, it sounds so therapeutic, you know, <laughs> having people come in and join and and almost having to share what they're going through for seventy five days in a row, knowing that you're not alone in this. And you know, in our industry, you can often feel alone. You know, you might be running your practice. By yourself or you might be struggling to find clients and, and, and you know you made these people not feel alone and thank you for that no it's a pleasure yes um yeah they made me feel not alone i think that was the biggest thing so it's uh, yeah but it's it's just such a privilege what's the learnings that stand out for you you know what would you have done differently in those first 75 days knowing what you know now that's yeah, a good question Lee. i don't know um it feels like everything just worked out the way it should have but if i were to do it from scratch today i don't know like i don't want to change anything about it because it's it was such a such an organic genuine from the right place experience that i wouldn't want to change anything if i were to do it differently i were to start it today it would probably be for a marketing and a branding reason you know which would be completely different um which was and funny those are the two things that was the unintended consequence of what i did um, but as I said, I, still today, I don't really have a plan. Um, all we did is we, we changed the format a little bit. We make it a little bit more. Um, we've got different segments, different people coming on the show. It's not just me because it used to be just me for an hour talking about a topic or I would be interviewing a guest for an hour. And, um, and we've changed it up. We're now also doing a little bit of panel interviews and things like that. Um, you know, so we try and change it up and make the quality better. Uh, sometimes I broadcast from weird and wonderful places if the internet allows um, I've had two of them. Um, one was great. The other one was supposed to be great. It wasn't so great. <laughs> but that's what I want to do. I actually want to go traveling with a show and broadcast from anywhere in the world, a few places. So, so we've got some people I'm talking to, like the day I can travel, you know, go visit them and then do a show from there. So those are some of the, th some of the ideas. But yeah, I can't, there's nothing huge that I would change. It was just, I think the, 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 
the experience that I had and, and the learnings from a personal point of view has been so great that I wouldn't want to change anything, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, people don't always see the hard work that has gone into you, you know, now having a very successful channel and, you know, speaking everywhere. They they don't see you often talk about the kind of overnight success that, you know, took 10 years or 15 or 20 years. Sure. Um, it, it's not always as easy and you know, having enough time to to build that up, I think is important. Like did, was there a time where you, where you said, hey, I need to change and this is something that I, that I'm not going to stick with during those 75 days? No, not once, eh? And it's the weirdest thing because I do have a problem sticking to things. <laughs> I would start something and then uh, get bored with it. This is the one constant in my life, like the one thing. I've started exercising, stopped. I've died, I've stopped. I've done all weirds and wonderful things, like, you know, creating all different kinds of content. But this is the one constant in my life. We're now on 147 episodes uh, since we started. And I mean, obviously 75 and 75 days went like that. We went then twice a week and then now just once a week on a Friday. But it's, yeah, it's just something that, uh, it's just part of who I am now. It's just like we do this and we arrange things and, you know, <laughs> um, have topics for, for things to talk about. And sometimes I run out of topics, but, you know, it's, it's always there. It's, it's the, there is just no, yeah, at this point, like if I think about my podcast, so we started actually Propulsion, the podcast back in 2019. And it went very well for, I don't know, 15, 16 episodes and had very good success with that podcast. And then I stopped because I got busy. And um, whereas the show, we're on 147 episodes, you know, so it's like my baby. It's like, I'm not letting go. Yeah. Just showing up and there's no one holding you accountable. There's no one saying, Hey, front oh, you need to do this. Okay. My, the, the, the community, because um, uh -huh. I made them a promise. So, and I think that's maybe the big difference, Louis, is when I started, I said on LinkedIn, I said in my email to, to everybody that I'm going to do this every single day, whereas I didn't tell anybody about the podcast, like I'm, I'm committing to do X, Y, Z. I just started the podcast. And maybe that's the, that's the thing that was the big difference is the fact that I said to everybody, and I know a lot of these people personally, so... Like you can't, you know, can't go back on a promise like that. And 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 now it's a habit. I think it's just uh, so they they now I'm being held accountable. Like nobody's phoning me or asking me, have you done this? Have you done that? But I'm being held accountable. You've tricked yourself into being <laughs> accountable. Yes. <laughs> Francho, from your discussions with financial planners, like what are the themes that you see play out? What are the things that specifically younger financial planners are struggling with? You know, where, where we are now in a, in a world that's you know, predominantly digital, that has changed overnight. Like, yeah, what are the things that stand out for you? I think there's a, there's a few things and maybe some of them, you know, sort of aligns with, with my journey as well. I think some of the, the hardest things is where to start, you know, um, where do I find clients, you know, what is it that I want to do in the first place? What is it that I want to focus on? How do I get into this business? You know, where do I find a mentor? Um, I think that's a big thing because although you have a young generation and a much older generation, maybe if you, if you look at our demographics in terms of financial uh, planning in South Africa, you know, you, you sort of often don't know where to start and, and what it is that you, you know, should I, what should I do first and what should I first focus on? And um, the one thing that I am seeing a lot more of is these different little, I don't know, communities, bodies, memberships, I don't know, call them what you want, uh, that pops up all over the world, not, not only in South Africa, uh, that offers them this opportunity to be able to do this uh, and to slot into somewhere where they can feel that they are supported. You know, unfortunately, um, it is so that you you start in a certain area of financial services, you get taught in a certain way. You start in another area, you got get taught differently. And it takes some time until you find your feet and have enough information in order to make your own decisions about what you want to do. Um, and I think maybe one of the things that, that is really missing is, I don't know if the, <laughs> it's not career guidance or counseling or anything, but it's in that vein where, we need to give young, the younger generation more of, a, of exposure to what are the different options you have within financial planning in South Africa and where is the best place for you? Like what's, what resonates with you and what speaks to you? I had a very in interesting discussion with somebody yesterday where a group of IT guys have created an app um, and now they're looking to also bring, start an FSP. You know, they think it's just, oh, we've got this great business idea and let's do this. And then like, but there's all these requirements 
for you to have an FSP in the first place. You know, so so how do we how do we cultivate? I think the right behavior and the right focus, uh, but also, you know, on the other hand, the one thing that I've learned, Louis, is that because the one thing that I despise like more than anything else in our profession at the moment is when we start doing things differently, we love to point out those who still do it the old way or like, how can you do this? And that's not right. And look at these costs and all of those things. I don't think it's doing us any justice or any favors for that matter uh, as a profession. You know, we should just be focusing on, on ourselves and saying, this is how we do it. This is what we believe. Clients, young and old, are, are more than capable of making that comparison for themselves. We should be focusing on educating clients on, you know, what is in their interest, you know, and, and understanding what it is that they're looking for uh, rather than going, you know, but somebody who focuses still on products, you know, is like that's not the right thing and this is why it's going the way it's going. And, and that's what I really want, want us to get away from is just – Let's just focus on where we're moving to and focus on how we're doing it better because we were all doing it like that at some point in time, right? Um, but as you get enlightened and as you see more things and as you start realizing and also finding your own path, you get different ways of doing things and you understand what is more valuable to your clients. And it's, again, that matter of how do you find a fit? Because if you there are clients who's just looking for a product. They don't want anything else. Uh, even though if they knew they could make other decisions, that's still what they want. Um, you know, so there's always a fit for everybody. Um, so yeah, so I think I'm, I'm, I'm going off the point a little bit, but, but that part for me is, is important is, is how do we tell the story in such a way that it's positive and that we highlight the good and not point out the bad all the time? Um, because that happens too often in, in, in my opinion. That's such an important point. And, you know, it's easier to kind of shoot someone else down and, and point out all the problems as opposed to, you know, what you're saying is painting this picture and telling the story of what what the financial planning in their mind might be. Um, and a marketplace consists of many different product providers and a market where someone willingly pays very high fees or someone willingly pays very low fees. How would you approach the change that we need? You know, that we get to a point where financial planning has a standard that, you know, we clearly can define between different types of financial planning. Like in Francois' world, what would that look like? Jeez, Louis. <laughs> That's a high-level question, right? Um, because I think there's so many places to start um, because you have to look at existing people in the profession and you have to look at new people in the profession. And then you have to look at people interested in getting into the profession. And I think there's different things that needs to be addressed for each one of those. And it is sort of, I think, to say, well, there's these different disciplines, sort of maybe, I don't know, I would say, because if I look at where things are moving, you think about things like financial coaching, transitionist planning, you look at um, financial therapy, I mean, there's all these different things and, and all they really are is that they are focusing on different needs that clients may have, you know, and then we've moved away because we, we don't, like some of us, like myself, I don't, I don't want to sell products anymore uh, because I believe I wasn't a salesman, for example. And the value there was also, I mean, there's, there's lots of reasons for why one would move, want to move or why, why we have moved away from that. But at the end of the day, you've got to say, well, you know, what are the different areas of financial planning that we focus on? And the other big thing, Louis, that, that I think is a big sort of a, a thing, because I talk to a lot of advisors and to a lot of companies, and what happens inevitably is that they would tell me like, you know, guys are not interested in technical financial planning anymore. We use a legal specialist or we use a para planner or we use these people that stay up to date. Like we just have conversations with clients. We talk to clients. We I have an innate problem with that um, because as the financial advisor or planner, the person that's giving the advice, you can never get away from that. So the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, back in the day when I did my CFP in 2011, it was the pinnacle, like you've reached the pinnacle. And I think we've said this before, you and I have spoken about this. Uh, I've said this on other, other places as well, where now suddenly that is expected of everybody, that level of competence is there. And you and I, as let's say, I don't practice anymore, but, but I mean, you and I as financial planning professionals should know those things and we should, we should consider those things in the process. 
But where though in the past, those were the things that we spoke about with the client. We now speak about other stuff, but that stuff informs this conversation so that we know the impact of what we are recommending, advising, or whatever we're doing. Um, and 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 that's the big thing. So now I think Clayton said said this on a on a podcast that I where I chatted to him that it's the it's the ticket to the game, and it was such a nice way to to sort of put it. And and for me, that's really what it is. It is like you have to have that. Now all this other stuff is where the focus is going to. How do I engage better with clients? How do I talk better with clients? How do I understand? You know, how do I help clients uncover what it is that they're really looking for and really understand what's driving their current behavior? And understanding, I think the other big thing is to understand, you know, what is valuable to a client because just because you believe something is extremely valuable doesn't mean that they see it the same way. And to know, do you walk away or do you adapt or what do you do in, in that sense? So, so that for me is the missing piece at the moment. Um, although there's a lot of focus on things like coaching, et cetera, you know, it's that the softer side, it's been neglected for so long and that includes sales. You know, it includes, it includes coaching. It includes, you know, almost psychology, <laughs> I would say, um, you know, so those kind of things of how do we help clients for me, it's at the end of the day, helping them make decisions, but they still, we just need to enable their decision-making and they need to make that decision. And then they must just have that comfort that somebody helped them get there, but they still did that because then they take ownership of it, hopefully. Um, but yeah, the thing is we can never get away from the technical financial planning, but um, I don't know. And uh, so, so that would be my view. Thank you, Francois. I think that's a that's a brilliant answer. And you know, looking at the whole financial ecosystem, that would then sort out you know these career tracks that people can see. Oh, this is the path I need to follow to get to this specialization. And you know, the ticket to the game is having a designation so that we can give professional advice through different pricing mechanisms. You know, sometimes it might be commission, and sometimes it might be a invoice or monthly retainer. The Financial Transitionist Institute talks about a thinking partner, and that's such a great term, right? That you're not making decisions on the client's behalf. You're helping them to unlock their potential, mm. but you still need, you can't get away from financial planning. You still need to get, to do the hard yards. Exactly. I always get, get fascinated by people not looking at tax, for example, because like, no, I'm not a tax consultant or a tax whatever. Um, but it's got such a, like that and costs are probably the biggest thing that has, or, or the two aspects that, that have the biggest impact on wealth building. And it's not a positive impact. So, um, you know, not to consider those or, I don't know, you know, relying on somebody else to do that. Um, it, somebody else can crunch the numbers and give you the data, but you still need to understand it. And you still need to have that knowledge in order to have a proper conversation. And, you know, so I, I fully agree with with the with the thing about about having very specialized areas and then a career track. And I also believe that the certification because you can't have a profession without having certification. I mean, I'm looking at completely other areas in in business. So you think about I've got friends who own a big roofing company, like they've built it up over years, very successful. The roofing industry has no professional body. There's no standards. There's no ethics. There's no nothing. They started one now. Um, you go to anywhere else in the world, almost any other part of business, you will find a body, not necessarily professional body, but you'll have a body that sets standards, that sets the ethical uh, boundaries and the rules and so forth. And people who subscribe to that, you know, just are seen as more professional, more reliable, more credible than those who don't. And although there's been a big growth in CFPs, I think it's going to go way beyond CFP uh, or being a certified financial planner. And that's why you'll see somebody's a CFP and a CFT and, a, you know, like there's going to be multiple designations. Uh, a lot of people also belong to FISA, for example, as a fiduciary specialist or they have a step qualification and certification. So those are the kind of things that I think doesn't make you professional, but it does, it does add to your credibility and the value that you add, as well as the kind of business that you can build. I still believe that true professionalism comes from your behavior. It does not come from your qualifications or your certification. It absolutely comes down to behavior at the end of the day. So you need both um, because great behavior without the knowledge is dangerous. Knowledge without the behavior is just as, as dangerous. So you do need both. But um, but the fact that you have these certifications doesn't mean you're professional. So so I think those are the kind of things that we need to to have to have more clear direction. And you know, how often do you say like, I mean, a consumer will be confused by what is a CFP and a CFT and a 
Like, but if it's very clearly defined, you know, maybe that's going to help us um, change that. Yeah, this is such an exciting time to be in our profession. You know, we will get to see, hopefully, how these things play out. And it will probably be very different from what we are discussing. Well, I'm pretty today. sure you will definitely see it out. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm now getting closer to 50. So uh, I'm not so sure if I'll make it like <laughs> it'll be in my lifetime. But uh, we definitely, there's huge movement um, and a huge change. And I think also just to maybe bring this in, Louis, the role that technology is playing and when people get it that technology enables us to do certain things, it is not the solution, it is not the replacement, it is not the product, it is not the value. It's simply a tool that makes things happen and that makes things possible that we were not able to do without technology. And I think the the more we can see that, I mean, you were talking about like, what would I change? You know, I remember fondly when I started my very first load, those first, I would say, I don't know, 20 or 30 episodes even, took me around an hour and a half or two hours to set up, okay? And that was every single day that I had to do that. Today, it doesn't take me 10 minutes. And the reason for that is that everything's automated. Everything has got templates. Everything has got and, – and the amount of time I'm saving. And, yes, I know the process, obviously, because I did it so many times. But it's the same in your business, you know? Um, and, and you have to almost forever be curious about what is the latest things, you know, and but also – it doesn't just help going out and looking at what is the latest technology. You also need to sort of focus on, but what is it that you're trying to do? Where is where are your pain points? What is it that you're trying to to sort out and make easier for you and your business and your staff? And then go look for a solution. That's actually the best approach to 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 follow, um, because otherwise you start looking. That's like looking for a car. You're looking at a million different cars, but you don't know what you're looking for in the first place. Like everything looks amazing. Francho, do you find that people define their problems? accurately because there's this tendency of wanting to just pick you know like you're saying i want to pick this car uh, or just tell me which car i need to pick yet what you're saying is that we need to define the problem but i'm wondering how easy that is and it is that's why we're not doing it um is because it is extremely difficult um and and sometimes you 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 f- you don't know how to put it into words it's something that you feel it's, it's a frustration in your business. It's something that, oh, I have to do this again. Oh, the, how many of time is this that I'm doing this thing now? You know, those are the kind of indicators that you need to explore that more and understand why is it that this is such a problem. And, you know, if you're in a bigger business, so if you have staff or there's maybe multiple people in the business, is to talk to them and like, what is their experience and what do they think is the problem and to really chat to to, to different people. And then also, you know, I think a lot. I think that that a lot of people are not doing where there's a huge opportunity. For instance, with technology, is for them to partner with their technology providers, and to and to get them to explain or to to share with them. This is my frustration because they deal with so many different other people that they can maybe tell you. Do you think it's maybe this? They can help you uncover this problem better. But but it does start with you as a business owner or you as a financial advisor in your practice to say, well, what are the things that's causing me frustration? Because um, there's a problem there if it's if it's frustrating. Um, usually, I would say most of the time. But uh, to answer your question, Lee, no, it's, 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 it's not easy to do. Uh, you can say that, you know what, we spend too much time following up with clients, for example. But that doesn't mean that's the problem. That, that, that's just what you're experiencing. You need to go now delve deeper of like, what are the things causing you to have to follow up so many times? You know, and, and then start digging deeper and getting to the root cause of that. And that's where the difficulty lies. It almost sounds like we need to train our people to start complaining, to say, hey, this thing and this thing is broken. How do we improve <laughs> this? And then, you know, filter mm. those problems down into, you know, actionable pieces that we can look at. Mm. And maybe also, Louis, that it's not only looking at I mean, obviously we always tend to look at it from a from your business's perspective. But what are the problems that your clients are facing from, you know, in, in terms of working with you? Like, do we ever ask them, you know, what is the experience like and, and you know, what do you find can work better and, and probing those kind of things so that, because clients will tell you, but they won't offer that information. We have to ask them and we have to have a plan to engage with them and say, you know, I want some feedback. You're sending them a link. How was your experience? Like a nine out of 10, you know, that's great, um, but it doesn't tell you anything. 
So we really need to ask more particular questions so that we get more specific answers um, from, from that point. But, but getting that data and information and insights from clients is, I think, a, a great place. Because um, it's it's, remember, it's a, we talked about it earlier, like being a partnership, um, you know, both needs to benefit. So it's not only your frustrations in trying to make things more efficient in your business, it's also making it easier for your client to do business with you. And sometimes the things we do to make things easier for the business causes more frustration for the client. And that's where we where we sort of miss out on the opportunity. So we need to understand the impact on them, but also like what would they like? And 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 also remember, like they are experiencing, you know, change, uh, progress in other areas of their lives, in other industries. And they go like, but if I can do this here, why can't I do this with my financial planner? And and those, you know, that's where where the drive will come from. You know, if you're still a financial advisor saying like, ah, my clients don't do technology, watch this space. I had Matt Reiner on one of the episodes and he just released a book where they talk about you know, advisors being afraid of technology and, and how the advisor is actually you know, equipped to deal with the human side of things and, and become the information station is the word that he used. And it, it was so Brilliant. refreshing to hear that you know, technology has its right place. It doesn't necessarily have to be the answer for everything and we also don't necessarily have to be scared of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's a great way, like information station. Um, but de- but definitely, and, and that's why I say it's just a tool. It's nothing else, nothing more. It is what it is, uh, but it can make our lives so much better and it can, can make things so much easier for clients if we do it correctly. I just always use this example about filling in forms. My wife was complaining in the week. Um, she had to go see a medical professional uh, a few weeks back. What an experience, like everything just – easy, just worked. You could fill everything electronically. Everything got sent. Now she's going for another appointment tomorrow with another medical professional and it's still old school kind of forms that they, they did send it to, at least to her before the time, but she was complaining about how hard it is and how difficult it is. So, you know, um, and it's, yeah, do we think about those small little things? So, so yeah, I fully agree with what he said. Brilliant. Francois, thank you so much for a great conversation. If people want to reach out to you or learn more, what's the best way for them to get hold of you? Yeah, LinkedIn is is the the easiest. Uh, you'll find me on LinkedIn, um, just Francois DTZA. Um, if you just go look for that, or just obviously search my name on on LinkedIn, um, you will find me I'm very active on there. And um, yeah, so so through that you can contact me on anything. Otherwise, the website is propulsion.co.za. Um, yeah, we do, we do a lot of training. Uh, we have the community. Uh, so there's loads of things that we're doing in order to help and support financial advisors. And uh, I think the biggest thing of what, we, what we're doing is, is the community that we've created because it's all like-minded people, forward-thinking, professional. They care about each other. You know, it's a small community, but it's growing. And, and that's the important thing for me, you know. Uh, and and when, when we start getting feedback around, like, the things that people have implemented and that have changed their business and their lives dramatically, that's when I get teary-eyed. You know, that's the thing. It's not anything else. It's, it's, it's the change that happens because of what we shared and what we showed and what we helped them to implement at the end of the day that, that makes the difference. Brilliant. I'm sure Terence is really happy that he showed up first day for your for your podcast and, and your live stream and is still there. Uh, he's been a guest on the show and you yeah. can listen to you know what he's implemented in his business. And you know, it's wonderful to see how everyone's just so connected in this community, a global community at that matter. And, and thank you for the massive role that you play in that, Francois. Cool. It's a pleasure and thanks for the opportunity to be here, Louis. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.